Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home an auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. What are we going to do as a church? Our souls need to wake up. We need to respond to the gospel of Jesus. He said, go into the world. We don't want to deal with reality, Christian. We don't even want to deal with reality even though we've been saved from this place. I'm calling on you today in the name of Jesus to rise up to the call of God. Christ is coming back soon. If I start telling people about hell, I might just scare them off. Where are you going to scare them off to? Hell number two? People stop and think about it. If hell really exists, and it does, I didn't say that Jesus did, then don't you think people need to know about it? Can't you at least give them a fighting chance? Or are you just going to sit there and let them burn? Amen. All righty. Well, for those of you guys who don't know, Wes, would you like to stand up, please? Apparently, that would be no. But anyway, Wes is, oh, hey, give it up for Wes. Look at that guy. Now, as you guys can see, if you paid attention, Wes was actually standing up. He's a vertically challenged guy like myself, but we're spry little critters, aren't we, Wes? Right? All right, so I said that all to get to this. Anyway, so one day, apparently soon, uh, recently, uh, Wes was uh, eating in a restaurant here in Vegas, right? And he's drinking his iced tea. He's minding his own business. And all of a sudden, this great big old giant tall dude, big old weightlifter guy, he comes up behind Wes and he whacks him right in the back of the head, knocks him off his chair onto the floor. And then the big dude comes up behind Wes and he says, that was a karate chop from Korea. That's so Wes, he goes, man, what's up with that? And he gets back up on his chair there and he starts drinking his iced tea again and all of a sudden, whack! Big dude knocks Wes right down again, right off his chair, and he goes, that was a judo chop from Japan. Well, this Wes, he just gets up, he says nothing, he just quietly leaves. He comes back about five minutes later without a word. He walks up behind the great big old dude, and wham, Wes knocks that big old dude right off his chair, knocked him on the floor, knocked him out cold. And Wes looks over the waitress and said, when he wakes up, tell him that was a crowbar from Sears. Okay. <laughs> Today's lesson is, don't mess with Wes. Let's close in prayer. That's right. Now, folks, let's be honest, man. I tell you what, how many of you guys are a little surprised at uh, Wes's actions there? You know what I'm saying? Being a little spry guy and knocking some guy out in the back of the head with a crowbar. Okay. Everybody but Rosemary, but we won't go there. Okay. But seriously, uh, how many guys would say that you never would have guessed in a million years that Wes would return on the scene and do something like that, right? Okay. If you, if you know Wes, anyway. Uh, but believe it or not, folks, did you know that the same thing is happening to our world? God has been warning our planet over and over again about how Jesus is coming back the second time. The first time Jesus came as the mild and meek lamb crucified on our behalf. Amen. Praise God. Amen. But read your Bible, folks. He's coming back again. And the second time, he's the mighty lion of the tribe of Judah, and he's going to dish out the beatings. Hello. And the point is this, folks, unless you accept him right now as your Lord and Savior, if you haven't, you are going to be catapulted into the seven-year tribulation, and that's not a joke. You want to talk about some beatings? That is a time, the Bible says, when God is going to pour out his wrath on this wicked and rebellious planet. Jesus said it's going to be the worst time in the history of mankind, never to be repeated again, and that unless God did shorten that time frame, the entire human race will be destroyed. How many guys would say that's not a good time? Exactly. And that's what we've been saying. Praise God. God is not just a God of wrath. He's a God of love as well. So he warns us. 
He warns us ahead of time. That's what you see in Bible prophecy, okay? He warns us when we don't know the exact day nor the hour, but we can know when the tribulations get near and the rapture is right around the corner, okay? So in order to keep you and I here at sunrise from experiencing what I would think would be the ultimate rough, hard, rotten day of being left behind, even worse than messing with Wes. Let's just move on. We're going to continue, that's right, in our study, the final countdown update, okay? How many guys wait every single time for that thing to jiggle like that? All none of you. Praise God. Let's move on. Uh, So far, we've already seen the first eight updates on our Final Countdown study update, and that was the Jewish people, the Antichrist, modern technology, worldwide upheaval, the rise of falsehood, the rise of wickedness, the rise of apostasy in the last two times was the rise of a what? A one world religion. And there we saw the Bible clearly tells us, God speaking, that uh, out of love, that when you see all the world's religions on the planet coming together as one, which is happening right now, today, all over the world, and we'll see that in just a second, as well as the elimination of those who will never go along with this program, and that's happening too. Okay, we saw that the last two times with this worldwide assault on Christians being done two different ways, via the homosexual movement, and last time, the ecumenical movement, i.e. their belief that all paths lead to heaven, let's merge into one, which is not true. How do you get to heaven? Jesus Christ said it, John 14, 6, he is the way, the truth, the life. He's the only way that you get to the Father. And what we saw, though, the problem is these now, these two movements have become the ultimate excuse to make true evangelical Christianity a, what? Hate crime, okay? And it's not just punishable by uh, fines, but even jail time here in America. Why? Because there's a plan in place. The Antichrist is using these two excuses, I truly believe, to get rid of you and I, the true Christians, replace us with fake, phony Christians who will go along with the one world religion. And that's what Jesus said is going to happen when you're living the last days. It's happening now. Okay? But that's not all. The second way we know we are headed for a one world religion is not just a worldwide assault on Christians, but you're going to see a worldwide assimilation of believers. Now, what I mean by that term there, believers, is the world's definition of believers, i.e. what the ecumenical movement says. You know, we're all, you believe in God, you, you must be you know, a religious person, we all believe in God, we're all, we, and therefore we can all merge into one. That's what I mean by believers, the world's definition of that. Now, believe it or not, folks, the Vatican is promoting just that. Of all entities on the planet, the Vatican is promoting this ecumenical movement that all paths lead to heaven. We just need to come under the umbrella of the Vatican. Now, what's wild is if you read your Bible, it just happens to fit in perfectly with what the Bible says the one world religion harlot will do working in conjunction with the actual Antichrist. Okay? But don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God's. So open your Bibles to Revelation 17. Revelation 17. We're going to take the look at the classic passage, a whole chapter dedicated, uh, and then again, 18. So you really got two of the one world religion harlot, okay? And we're gonna see here a description of her, okay, this entity, and then we're gonna see how she works with the Antichrist, and then we're gonna see that she's gonna be destroyed by the Antichrist. He uses her like a tool, okay? But in the beginning, they work together. Revelation 17, and uh, we're gonna read verses one through six, her description, then we're gonna read, drop down to 15 through 18, take a look at her destruction. Okay, Revelation 17, the woman that rides the beast, the one world religion that works, rides initially seemingly in control even of the Antichrist. Let's take a look at that text. Verse seven, uh, chapter 17, verse 1 says, Now, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. 
With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth, listen, were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. I mean, it's just like, woohoo, man, she's awesome. This is great. Don't you want to be a part? Pay attention to that because we're going to see that later with the Protestant church is inebriated now with this movement, okay? And it says this, then the angel carried uh, me away in the, in the spirit into a desert. And there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names, had seven heads and 10 horns. And the woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold and precious stones and pearls. And she had this golden cup in her hand filled with the abominable things that, uh, and the filth of her adulteries. And the title was written on her forehead, Mystery, Babylon the Great the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to who? To Jesus. Now, let's go down to verse 15 and take a look at her destruction. And then he says this, verse 15, Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits and the peoples, multitudes, and nations, and languages. That's what they are. Oh, if I only knew. If I only knew what the waters were, I'm going to have to pray and fast for 15 years and go to prayer conferences with, and fasting conferences with meals included. And Meals included, they actually do that, if you can believe that, at fasting conferences. But anyway, hey, if I only knew what the waters were, keep reading. This is what I love. Just keep reading. Oftentimes, the text will define itself. So what she's, obviously, she's governing the waters, the multitude of the nations, the people, the world. This one world religion entity is sitting over the world, okay? The beast and the ten horns, the Antichrist, you saw, will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked, and they will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Why? Because who's in control? Even in the seven-year tribulation, Satan is not a loose cannon on deck. God is always in control. For God, it says there, has put into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. The, the woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. That's another key passage, okay? But folks, there's a lot going on in this whole chapter and certainly just even what we read. But we already just saw that the one world religion harlot will not only be drunk with the blood of the saints. We saw that last time, okay? It's going to martyr, it's going to kill, it's going to slaughter those who get saved after the seven-year tribulation begins. And again, what's the lesson? You should have gotten saved now before it began, okay? But it also says she's obviously going to be working in conjunction initially with the Antichrist, okay? She's going to be riding on top. So it's like a, you're riding on a horse. You're the one in control. It, it appears that way initially, and she's going to be working with him, controlling the religions of the world. And it says there, ruling over the kings of the earth. But we saw at some point the Antichrist is going to turn on her. And God's going to allow that as a form of punishment and judgment. And the Antichrist is going to destroy her. Okay, He's going to use her as a tool until he gets what he wants. And that's world domination. Now, I said all that to get to this, okay? In order for this passage to be fulfilled, this takes place during the seven-year tribulation. So if we're getting close to it, we don't know the day nor the hour, then we should see some sort of signs leading up to this being fulfilled, i.e., in order for this to be fulfilled, we need to see some sort of global religious identity working with the kings of the earth, the governments of the world, trying to control them. Number two, we need to see this same exact global religious entity promoting the lie that all religions need to come together as one specifically under its control, right? Can I tell you something, folks? The Vatican's doing both of those right now before our very eyes. 
this global religious entity. In fact, it's been going on for quite some time, if you've been paying attention. Now, if you recall, as far as ruling over the kings of the earth, this, I always found this strange, even as a non-Christian, before I got saved 21 years ago, okay? Uh, if you recall, folks, who does virtually all the top world leaders, when they get into office, when they're elected, even American presidents for a multitude of administrations, when they get into office, who do they eventually, not too long thereafter, go eventually meet? The Pope at the Vatican. Why? Well, because they're working in conjunction with the world's governments right now trying to control them. That's what the text says a religious global entity would do. It's been going on for quite some time. And two, they would have to therefore bring about all the religions together into one under their control. As we saw before, folks, the Vatican's been working on that for decades now. Let's take a look at some of that proof. The Vatican and the Roman Catholic Church. Its Pope is currently leading the greatest ecumenical movement in history in order to unite all religions under Rome's leadership. In 1986, Pope John Paul II gathered in Assisi, Italy, the leaders of the world's major religions to pray for peace. There were snake worshippers, fire worshippers, spiritists, animists, Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus, North American witch doctors. I watched in astonishment as they walked to the microphone to pray. The Pope said they were all praying to the same God and that their prayers were creating a spiritual energy that was bringing about a new climate for peace. John Paul II allowed his good friend the Dalai Lama to put the Buddha on the altar in St. Peter's Church in Assisi and with his monks to have a Buddhist worship ceremony there while Shintoists chanted and rang their bells outside. The prophesied world religion is in the process of being formed before our eyes, and the Vatican is the headquarters of the movement. Is this not spiritual fornication? Yeah. Or, as Revelation would say, the one world religion heartlet, adultery. It's the same thing, folks, is what's going on, okay? And uh, again, the Vatican is the headquarters. Now, not only that, do they want to, and they have been for decades, as you just saw, trying to get all religions together in one under their control. But uh, the governments, the kings of the earth around the world right now are calling not just for the religions to come together, but they're saying, of all things, we need a new global headquarters to control all the world's religions. And guess who's wanting to stand up to the plate and say, we'll do that for you? Watch this. We've seen some of this before. King Abdullah of Saudi Arabia, because you're thinking, oh, the Muslims, they'll never go along with it. Well, what? listen to this. He's been planning for years to, quote, find a way to unite the world's major religions in an effort to help foster peace. And he believes a new international organization will help make that dream a reality. We need somebody to govern the religions in order for peace. You're thinking the Jewish people know, never go along with that. Uh-uh. We know the Bible says they go under a temporary blindness. They're actually going to strike a deal with the Antichrist. We'll see that in a second. Daniel 9.27, which starts a seven-year tribulation. Later, their eyes open up. And they realize they made a mistake. But this is Chief Rabbi Yonah Metzger. He's one of the two chief rabbis in Israel, said, quote, We need a united relations of religions which would contain representatives of the world's religions as opposed to nations. A church, a mosque, a synagogue, a holy temple must be embassies of God, and we have to spread this idea to what? Our believers. And he suggested that the Dalai Lama could lead the assembly. Well, you got to have a false prophet if you're going to work... I'm not saying he is, it might be somebody else, but anyway, it's all coming together. Uh, Muslim figure, uh, Adnan Akhtar, he said this, he met with three uh, representatives from the Jewish... Uh, Sanhedrin, which just came back on the scene, by the way, that's another issue, okay, to discuss how religious Muslims, Jews, and Christians can work together building what? The temple. So you need a global place for everybody to worship. 
An official statement about the meeting has been published on the Sanhedrin's website. Here's what he said. We are all the sons of one father, the descendants of Adam, and all humanity is but a single family. Peace among nations will be achieved through building the house of God where all peoples will serve. We can all worship in this global temple. And he added, quote, the temple will be rebuilt. Notice it will be rebuilt. And believers will worship there in tranquility. And the temple could be rebuilt in one year. You know, we got a lot of modern technology. We can get it done pretty fast. This is the actual temple that the actual Antichrist will actually go up into halfway into the seven-year tribulation and say, hey, worship me, I'm God. Why? Because the first half, he dupes the harlot to get what he wants. And then he turns it all on the head and says, now worship me, I'm God. Yeah, absolutely amazing. And this just happened, folks, just recently. Shimon Perez, former president of Israel, even more recently met with who? Pope Francis, hey, we need your help to discuss the idea of creating a UN-like organization that he called the United Religions. You know, like the United Nations governs the governments? This would govern the religions. Working right now with Pope Francis to, quote, bring an end to the wars raging in the Middle East and around the world. So if we can all just now, not just merge our religions together, but we need a headquarters for it. We need somebody to oversee all the world's religions, and we're going to you, Vatican, we're going to you, Pope, to make sure this happens, to bring peace on the planet. That's what's going on in the news right now. The world religious leaders are calling for this, and the Vatican is leading the way. In fact, if you're paying attention, folks, uh, Pope Francis is making trips over there in uh, Israel. As we all know, it's just for tourism. No, a lot of people say that what's going on there is he's trying to strike a deal, and they've been doing this for years, by the way, to uh, grab control of Jerusalem and the Temple Mount because they want control of that, okay? In fact, he's over there, and he's been over there even recently. I'm gonna show this to you. And he's over there combining all the three major world religions together, saying, let's come together as one, and uh, we'll help you out, get that job done. Watch this. Pope Francis, on the final day of his Middle East trip, prayed and laid a wreath at Jerusalem's Holocaust Museum. He visited the grave of the father of modern Israel, Theodore Herzl, met with the two chief rabbis of Jerusalem, and paid courtesy calls on the Israeli president and prime minister. Earlier, the Pope met with the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem at the Haram el-Sharif, saying a visit to the Holy Land would not be complete without such a meeting. I make a heartfelt plea to all people and to all communities who look to Abraham. May we respect and love one another as brothers and sisters. Rabbi Arthur Schneier from the United States praised the Pope's visit. Unfortunately, there are those religious leaders who seek to divide them. The fact that the Pope is here, visiting Israel and also the fact that the Bartholomew, the Ecumenical Patriarchs here, is really a milestone in interfaith relations. On Sunday evening, Pope Francis met with Eastern Orthodox leaders at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre on the site where many believe Jesus Christ was crucified. Patriarch Bartholomew, the spiritual leader of the world's Orthodox Christians, lamented racial discrimination and religious extremism in contemporary society. In the face of such conditions, love the others, the different others, the followers of other faiths and other confessions. Oh, look at that. They're all the major religions with the Pope there planting an olive tree for peace and unity. And 
next thing you know, the Antichrist is going to come by. He's going to water it. And... <laughs> We're all worried who's going to make it to the playoffs. This is going on in the news. Can you believe it? It's happening before our very eyes, okay? Now, what's wild, folks, if you know anything about the occult, the occult says that what we're seeing in the news is the very thing. See, we think this is a bad thing. Obviously, this is the rise of the Antichrist kingdom. This is the rise of the one world religion. The occult thinks this is a good thing. I'm going to share with you some notes that were snuck out of an occult meeting by a Christian. And here's what the other side of the fence, the dark side, the occult, is waiting for. You tell me if we're not getting close, even from their angle. All right, they believe that once all the world's religions come together, and they're expecting it soon, okay, that a religious leader will be chosen to be the earth's religious spokesperson. I wonder who that might be. Interesting. And will then encourage the peoples of the world to accept a new world leader who will suddenly appear on the scene. Well, that sounds interesting. That's just like what the Bible says about the false prophet who convinces the world to worship the beast of the Antichrist. That's what they're waiting for. The occult is also in agreement that none of this can fully take place until the people who will never go along with this one world religion are taken out of the way. Who's that? That's us. In fact, what's, here's what's wild. This is what they're waiting for. The people who are restraining, interesting word there, the restraining influence, the church, once the church disappears, whew, think it's bad now, you ain't seen nothing yet. The people who are restraining or holding things up, according to the occult, they, they won't necessarily die. Quote, but will somehow mysteriously disappear, or in their words, elect to leave this dimension as if going to another room. So once those nasty Christians disappear, wow, we can finally pull this off. That's what the occult's waiting for. And they say once these people leave this earth, the occult says the new world leader will rightly take his place over the world, and then and only then will it be possible to build a combination temple, church, mosque in Jerusalem. Boy, we see no signs of that happening. We just saw the popes over there right now doing just this. And at the proper moment in history, a world religious leader will visit the combined Jewish-Christian-Muslim sector of Jerusalem to announce that all the religions should now be combined into one. This will create what they're calling the New Jerusalem Covenant or contract. And all religions will now celebrate three festivals, the Festival of Goodwill, the Festival of Easter, the Festival of Wesak, and will create the New World Order religion, which will now be the spiritual equivalent to the political United Nations. Wait a second, isn't that what we just saw the world religious leaders are saying we need to do? Yeah, and that's what they're expecting. And they say this action will finally break the Middle East logjam. Now we can finally have peace in the Middle East by doing this. And as one person said, I wouldn't be surprised if this group is actually writing the peace treaty that the Antichrist will sign with Israel which is important because that's the prophecy of Daniel 9.27, which starts the seven-year tribulation. Let's take a look at that. Daniel 9.27, he, the Antichrist, will confirm a covenant. I wonder if they'll call it that, the New Jerusalem Covenant. With the people, uh, the Israelites, uh, Jews, uh, with many for one seven, seven years. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. In other words, let me translate that for you. He loses. Okay? Even he, he used the one world religion harlot to get what he wanted, world domination. God's using him. Okay? He is not 
in control, okay? He's going to lose. But here's the whole point. What we're seeing together, if this passage is going to come to pass, Revelation 17, you need a global religious entity who is working and controlling the governments around the world. That's what's happening right now at the Vatican. Number two, you need a world religious entity that is encouraging all the world's religions to come under as one under its umbrella, its control, right? The Vatican's doing that too. In fact, if you're paying attention to the new Pope, Pope Francis, Okay, you're going to see, folks, he is making it so easy for anyone and everyone, except for Christians, true Christians, to be a part of this one world religion. I mean, I mean, even if you're an atheist, according to Pope Francis, you can still be a part of this global religion. Let's take a look at that. Good news for all you atheists out there. Jesus is still going to redeem you. During his homily at Wednesday Mass, Pope Francis emphasized the importance of doing good as a principle that unites all humanity. In his sermon, he said, the Lord has redeemed all of us, all of us with the blood of Christ, all of us, not just Catholics, everyone, even the atheists. Yep, Pope Francis said that atheists are still eligible to go into heaven. <laughs> yeah, and to return the favor, atheists said that popes are still eligible to go into a void of nothingness. <laughs> So, apparently, the new Pope Francis has really gone off the rails with his papal duties and has continued spouting off his dangerous message of peace and compassion. He was quoted as saying, The Lord has redeemed us all, all of us, with the blood of Christ, all of us, not just Catholics, everyone, even the atheists, everyone. Hey guys, we did it! We're all going to heaven! Even you right there! Good work, world! It looks like really cool. It's a really good day. It's like the Pope printed out a whole bunch of get-out-of-jail-free cards and distributed them to everyone. NBC's Ann Thompson is at the Vatican. Ann, good morning. Good morning, Natalie. You thought that was extraordinary. Perhaps his most interesting comments came when asked about a gay lobby. He said he had never met anybody in the Vatican that had gay on their business card. And he said, if someone is gay and they are searching for the Lord, who am I to judge? He said people should not be marginalized. As a lesbian and a Catholic, Cleo Mayer could never have imagined being this happy among fellow Catholics. Cleo married Donna. They had a child and found a Catholic church in Atlanta that accepted them. For this couple, the words of Pope Francis on not judging or condemning homosexuals is a divine sign they are welcome in the Catholic faith. I just see an olive branch being extended for things that may not have been previously from other, from other popes, uh, from the position of the church, and that's very refreshing and it gives us hope. Parishioners say by advocating deep compassion over harsh judgment, he's bringing its flock a step closer towards its divine calling. And apparently that divine calling is to form this global religion that anyone can join, even if you're an atheist or homosexual. Now, obviously the problem is that's not what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians, we saw before, folks, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You don't know this? Vatican, don't be deceived. Don't listen to this guy. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, such were some of you, meaning you're not doing that anymore. You're not condoning it. You're not saying, okay, no big deal. You were that way. Here's the good news. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. He is making it so easy for anybody and everybody to be a part of this. In fact, he even admitted, he's even saying that you can't even, quote, be saved unless you're under their umbrella. 
Listen to this. He actually said it's dangerous for you and I, for anybody on the planet, to think that we can be saved apart from the Catholic Church and this global religion. Quote, on June 25th, Pope Francis spoke to an audience of 33,000 people saying this, there is no such thing as do-it-yourself Christians or free agents. Quote, it is a dangerous temptation, he said, to believe that one can have a personal, direct, immediate relationship with Jesus Christ without communion with and mediation of the church. In other words, you can't even be saved unless you're a part of this. That's a one-world religion harlot. So on the one hand, you're making it easy for anybody, atheists, homosexuals, no matter what you believe, apparently you can go to heaven under them. But on the other hand, what are you going to do with the Protestant church? If you know any, I don't have, I wish I had time to go into the history of the Protestant church. You and I, our basic beliefs, the early church, uh, the Protestant movement cut away from the Catholic church. That's why we're sitting here today able to read the Bible in our common language, English. Brothers and sisters in Christ were killed by the Catholic Church, drowned by the Catholic Church, beaten alive, burned alive by the Catholic Church because they had the audacity of just getting a Bible into the common man's hands. And so the point is, if this is going to come to pass, this one world religion harlot, then they got to take it even to the next level. They got to somehow dismantle the Protestant Church. Can I tell you something? This is what's crazy. As we saw before the first video clip, that was Pope John Paul II. He's been for decades, and he was back then for many years, the Vatican's been working on drawing all the world's religions together. But what should get our attention, folks, is what's happening right now with the Protestant church. The Protestant church right now is going back to Rome. I'm going to start with the first video clip proving this point with a video clip from Kenneth Copeland. Now, Kenneth Copeland, as we know before, is a false teacher. He's a word of faith heretic, okay? But technically, him and his church is supposed to be Protestant, Okay, uh, kind of the charismatic flavor, okay? And, uh, but he recently piped into his congregation a personal message from Pope Francis. Now stop right there. What if I were to say next Sunday, this is why you should invite your friends. It has nothing to do with swamp chickens. I mean, turkey. It has, we're gonna pipe in a private message from Pope Francis to encourage us. What would you do to me? I hope you would fire me. Amen? All right, that you'd rise up and fire me. But this is what Kenneth Copeland did. He piped in a private message from Pope Francis. The bishop who is introducing this message makes some comments after the message is over and listen to what he says about the Protestant Reformation. This should send chills up your spine. Let's take a look. Thank you, Lord. I said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> You're going to talk about tonight for a long time. <laughs> Brother Tony, come on up, would you please? And uh, Tony Palmer, some of you may know Tony. Tony and I go way back, but he's going he's gonna to be telling you the story. I asked him to come give his testimony, and he's got a special message for us tonight. For giving me this opportunity to spend a couple of moments introducing to you something really, really special and historic. Dear brothers and sisters, excuse me, because I speak in Italian. I pray, Signore, perché ci unisca tutti. 
e avanti, siamo fratelli, ci diamo spiritualmente questo abbraccio e lasciamo che il Signore finisca l'opera che Lui ha incominciato. Perché questo è un miracolo, il miracolo dell'unità è incominciato. Vi chiedo di benedirmi e io vi benedico. Di fratello a fratello, un abbraccio. Grazie. This brought an end to the protest of Luther. Brothers and sisters, Luther's protest is over. Is yours. And I get a bit cheeky here because I challenge my Protestant pastor friends. If there is no more protest, how can there be a Protestant church? Maybe we now we're all Catholics again. That Protestant quote unquote congregation thought that was funny. Luther's protest is over. How about yours? Can I translate that for you? Are you done protesting? You ready to come back under the umbrella of the Mother Church and help us form this one world religion? But you might be thinking, and rightly so, well, hey, that's just Kenneth Copeland, you know, and he's a false teacher. What do you expect, right? I'm sure he's the only one doing this. No. In fact, many folks of the charismatic movement are doing the same thing. A lot of their leaders, okay, they're doing the exact same thing. In fact, they're chumming up with the Pope. They're meeting with the Pope. They're even giving high fives to the Pope, trying to discuss how we can all come together as one. Here's the proof. This just recently happened. Uh, here we see in order from left to right, John and Carol Arnott, Brian Stiller, Kenneth Copeland, right next to Pope Francis in the middle there, Thomas Schurmacher, Jeff Tinnicliffe, James and Betty Robinson. Pay attention. They got that Light Today program, huge, big, giant Christian program, and Bishop Tony Palmer, okay? And it's one thing to meet with the Pope, but their meetings are to discuss, quote, unity in diversity is the theme. And then you got strange statements being made by James Robinson here, uh, who is giving the Pope high five. This is actual photograph there at the medium. And he says this, quote, the enemy has kept many Christians from loving one another as Christ loves us and has failed to recognize the importance of supernatural unity even with all the unique diversity. He said, this week I was blessed to be a part of perhaps an unprecedented movement between evangelicals and who? The Catholic Pope. He says, I believe I am beginning to witness what Jesus prayed for. He's referring to when Jesus prayed for unity among believers. That's not the, what Jesus was praying for. Okay, that's not the unity. And he says this, it gets even worse. He says, years ago, God told me to reach out beyond the safe, comfortable walls of my Southern Baptist tradition, beyond denominational barriers, and to seek to bring the family together. Oh, how I hope and I pray that this is the case. Listen, dear God, let it happen and let me gladly be a part of it. What did the text say? Oh, they were drunk with the wine of her adulteries and intoxicated. It's like, wow, man, this is awesome. This one for religion, I just gladly be a part. That's what's happening to people in the Protestant church, okay? But you might be thinking, okay, well, again, Pastor Billy, that's just the charismatic movement. With all due respect, we don't agree with everything that they teach, and they got some interesting teachings, okay? But, but I, I'm sure they're the only ones doing that. The Protestant church, we're staying solid. He's using sarcasm. That's right, I'm using sarcasm, so you know what's coming. Okay, now we have people like Beth Moore. When I say slide, we're talking big slide. And guess who she's hanging out with? These people. The same charismatics you just saw. 
She's been on the James Robinson show, I don't know how many different times, and she's met with other ones, but she's starting to make some strange comments about Catholics. Let's take a look at that. Right over here to my right, you see First United Methodist Church of Less Than Land. <laughs> right behind them, you would find just down the street, just across the street, really, you've got Christ the Redeemer Lutheran Church. Every single one of my sisters in this area attends a Lutheran church, which thrills me. These all attend a Methodist church. I can't tell you how I love that kind of diversity. What I've asked these ladies to do right here, now this makes it a little bit different because they do go to different churches. But what I've asked them to represent tonight to us is an African-American church that we're going to call Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church. Is that good? Did I do good? Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Right back here, I want you to meet St. Anne's Catholic Church of Less Than Land. These ladies come, every single one of them, although they don't go to one Catholic church, every single one of them attend a Catholic church, probably right here in Houston. And I am so thrilled that they are here. What I've asked my sisters to do here, actually, they represent many different churches, but they represent one church in our midst tonight. These are our sisters that attend different charismatic churches in the city. But tonight, they attend Abundant Life Church. Is that good? No, with all due respect, Beth, that's not good. Just kind of lumping in Catholicism that we're all part of the same family? No, we're not. Folks, official Roman Catholic teaching is not the gospel that you and I preach, Jesus and Jesus alone. It's Jesus, if you really want to call it, it's not really him. You've got to go through Mary as the mediatrix, which is unbiblical. But then you've got to keep the sacraments and do all this stuff. That's a works-based salvation. That's not the same thing. So how are you saying we're sisters, we're brothers, whatever you want to call it, okay? But you might be thinking, well, that's just one Protestant lady. We all know that uh, Protestant pastors, woohoo, we're standing strong, aren't we? Sarcasm. Whoever said that, sarcasm, you're right. Uh, pay attention to what Joel Olstein said. Here's where he gets uh, apparently his inspiration. Let's take a look at that. More than 60,000 people will pack Yankee Stadium tomorrow for a night of hope. It's a huge event featuring Lakewood Church pastor Joel Osteen and his wife Victoria. Before he arrived in New York, Osteen paid a special visit to the Vatican, where he met with Pope Francis. Tonight, Osteen shares the experience with Local 2 anchor Dominique Soxa. As we sat down and talked about the preparations for the big event, Joel revealed to me an incredible opportunity he just had to meet with Pope Francis. I just felt very honored and very humbled. You know, seeing the Pope give the Mass to 100,000 people that day, you just see you know, he has such a heart to help people. I love the fact that he's made the church more inclusive, not trying to make it smaller, but to try to make it larger, to take everybody in. So that just resonates with me. With Rome behind him, Joel feels he has divine inspiration fueling his message for tomorrow night. Wow, so he really likes the Pope and you know, and how he's trying to bring everybody together in an umbrella. It resonates with him. Apparently, he's using the same techniques. But you might think, well, and rightly so. Hey, listen, Pastor Bill, that's just Joel Olstein. We know that he's the king of fluff. He only preaches fluff. Uh, lots of unbiblical stuff going on there. But uh, what do you expect? Okay, but not the rest of us Protestant pastors. Okay. Yes, sarcasm alert. Thank you, Bobby. Uh, folks, we're going to take, uh, uh, take a look at a clip from Rick Warren. Rick Warren was interviewed by the EWTN, the Catholic Channel. And you tell me if this guy, when push came to shove, would go along with Rome or would reject Rome. Let's take a look at what he said. 
What is your secret to reaching people every day, yeah. every week, yeah. not only in your writing, but when yeah. you speak to them? Yeah. What is it? What is this communication gift, yeah. if you will, if you could decode it? The, the main thing is love always reaches people. It, authenticity, humility, Pope Francis is the perfect example of this. Hmm. He, is a, he is doing everything right. You see, people will listen to what we say if they like what they see. see. Mm -hmm. And uh, as, as our new pope, he was very, very symbolic in, you know, his first mass with people of AIDS, uh, his, his uh, kissing of, uh, of the disformed man, yeah. his loving the children, this authenticity, this humility, the caring for the poor. This is what the whole world expects us Christians to do. And when we, when they go, oh, that's what a Christian does. I, in fact, there's a headline here in Orange County, and I love the headline. I saved it. It said, if you love Pope Francis, you'll love Jesus. <laughs> oh, that, that was the headline? That was the headline. Oh. It was the headline. I saved it. I showed it to a group of priests I was uh, speaking to a while back. Yeah. So. I love that. When I walked into your office here, I was struck. You have three images and personal notes yes. that confront the person walking into your office. Yeah. And there is Mother Teresa, yeah. Martin Luther King, right. and Billy Graham. Right. Why those three? What do they give you and what have well, they given you? Well, the, the only, thing, only one who's missing was Pope John Paul II. Those four people were the greatest influences on the 20th century, without a doubt. The Vatican recently sent a delegation here to Saddleback, yeah. the Pontifical Council, the Academy for Life. Rather. Academy for Life, exactly. Tell me what they discovered and why did they come? This was a, this was a sizable group. It was. There were about 30 bishops from Europe. Um, one of the men who had been uh, actually trained and mentored by Jean Vanier, oh. and which is an interesting thing because we have a retreat center here, and my spiritual director... Uh, who grew up at Saddleback, actually uh, went and trained under John Vanier, too. Oh. So I'm very excited about that. Um, but they were talking about the new evangelization, and Saddleback uh, has been very effective in reaching secular mindset. So we figured out a way to reach that mindset, and I fully support the Catholic Church's new evangelization. Tell me about your the little breather you take in the day when you watch television, which surprised <laughs> me. When we first met, you yeah. came up to me and said, hey, Raymond, and I said, yeah. I can't believe you watched this You know show. what? I'm an avid fan of EWTN. I, I make no bones about it. I probably watch it more than any Christian channel uh, because I happen to have one of my favorite shows, which you replete often, is the, the Chaplain of Divine Mercy. Really? Which uh, I love. And when I've had a very stressful day, I'll come home, I've got it taped, and Kay and I, I will both listen, we'll put it on and just sit back, relax, worship, and, and in, that, in that time of reflection, meditation, quietness, I find myself renewed and restored. So thank you for keep continuing to replay the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. Thank Mother Angelica. Uh, thank you, Mother uh, Angelica. Well In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You expire, Jesus, but the source of life gushed forth for souls, and the ocean of mercy opened up for the whole world. O font of life, unfathomable divine mercy, envelop the whole world, and empty yourself out upon us.
name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Wow. So it's not just the Pope, it's our Pope. It's us Christians. You're working with the Pope. You got pictures of Mother Teresa and a Pope on your wall for inspiration, and your favorite channel is the Catholic channel, and at times of stress, you and your wife sit before it, and if you know that program, all it does is chant Catholic prayers over and over and over again. Here's my point in bringing that up, folks. Uh, when push comes to shove, and the Pope says we need to combine all religions together under one, with all due respect, based on what you just saw and what you just heard, do you think that gentleman would go along with it or resist it? I think he'd go along with it because he thinks it's good. Now, what's really concerning is it gets even more sick. Well, unfortunately, maybe that's just Rick Warren. The rest of us are going to hold strong. Well, I certainly hope we do, okay? But there's some concerning things from the top, folks, that's been concerning me the last couple of weeks. I just came across this. Russell Moore, he's the president of the Southern Baptist Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. He said two weeks ago, and I quote, gay therapy, the attempts to change a person's sexual orientation has been severely counterproductive. And he joins a course of psychologists and religious leaders who have departed from the once popular therapy. So with all due respect, now us quoting Romans chapter six, that we are no longer slaves to sin, when we become saved in Jesus Christ, and that we can have the blessed hope of a new identity, become a new creation, a new creature, a new person in Jesus Christ, that's counterproductive. And not just counterproductive, that's severely counterproductive. That's when my first flag went up. The second one was just on the plane coming back from the conference last week. And guess what's happening tomorrow? Quote, Russell Moore, Rick Warren, and Pope Francis is joining with Muslims, Buddhists, and a multitude of religions for an interfaith conference on marriage. Wait, whoa, wait a second. With all due respect, what's there to learn? Why are you ending with Rick? And you're still. Folks, if I didn't know better, I'd say this ain't looking too good. Unless there's any doubt what the motive is bringing these people along, because we might have it you know, individually, like, well, I'm going there to witness, and I, hopefully, hopefully that is. Hopefully that's what Mr. Moore's going there for, with all due respect. 
But the conference is sponsored by the Pontifical Council for the Family, the Pontifical Council for Interreligious Dialogue, and the Pontifical Council for Promoting, quote, Christian Unity. So why are we coming? You might have your thing, but you know why we're bringing you here? So we can all come together as one under the Catholic Church. You're getting snookered right into it, okay? And as crazy as that sounds, the ultimate to me, nail in the coffin, that we know we're getting close. We don't know the exact day nor the hour. But if this one world religion is going to be fully in place for the seven-year tribulation, then at some point it has to go to that watershed moment where it isn't just where Protestant pastors would work in conjunction with this one world religion harlot. They would actually have to convert back to Catholicism, right? Logically, it's already happening. Here's just two examples. Let's take a look at that. Larry Lewis is one of a growing number of individuals who converted. I was a Protestant minister for over 30 years in different areas of, uh, of ministry, and uh, I was very content, happy, uh, thrilled about it, actually. And uh, then uh, pastoring the United Methodist Church, uh, in the middle of that, of my pastorate uh, there, we were kind of blindsided by the Blessed Mother. She kind of came out of nowhere, and... Uh, really began to turn our whole lives around. Stephen Barham, a popular speaker at Marian conferences, attended Assemblies of God before becoming a priest. The content is the same basic structure as the gospel. Repent, be converted, fast, pray, pray for the renewal of the church, go back to the sacraments. That's not the same as the gospel. It's Jesus, that's it. You're now seeing we're at the point where so-called Protestant pastors converting back to Catholicism. Folks, if I didn't know better, I'd say that Jesus' uh, statement, uh, Luke 21, 28, is getting pretty close. When these things take place, what do you do? Well, first of all, you run and you freak and you ride to the run of the hills and store up survival gear and <laughs> no way, man. Stand up, lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. In fact, let's do that. Let's go ahead and stand today, shall we? Stand up. If you'd like to, do your rapture practice. <laughs> Our redemption is drawing near, folks. You can go ahead and be seated if you'd like. Folks, this is what all this means. This is not bad news. This is awesome. We don't know the day nor the hour, but man, I tell you what, it, we've never been this close. We've never been this close. But it's happening. You're actually seeing before your very eyes the Reformation being rolled over, being turned over, and even the Protestant so-called church, the fake church, is going back to a one-world religion harlot. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is coming to get us. And if you're here today in closing, hey, listen, if you're not saved, you better get saved. And don't drink this Kool-Aid. This is a lie. All religions do not lead to heaven. There's only one way. His name's Jesus Christ. Don't listen to this baloney. Even if you're in a Protestant church, this stuff's being preached. You better come to Jesus. He's the only way out of this mess. You need to get saved before it's too late. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Evangelical Christianity historically has not accepted Catholicism as being true Christianity. It used to be when I was a child that the Christian bookstore would have books and literature exposing the Catholic Church, warning you about the Catholic Church. Now you go to a Christian bookstore and they have rosary beads, they sell Catholic Bibles, they sell Catholic paraphernalia. What we're seeing is a blurring of the lines between evangelical Christianity and Roman Catholicism. People are being prepared for a one world religion that unites Catholicism, all denominations of Christianity, in fact, all religions of the world. Those who push for a global religious organization believe that all religions, while different on the surface, are each valid pathways to God. Instead of all these different gods, 
Maybe there's one God who manifests himself and revealed himself in different ways to different people. You know, what about that, huh? Do we all worship the same God, Christian and Muslim? I think we do. Does. We have different routes of getting to the Almighty. Do Christians and non-Christians, do Muslims go to heaven in your mind? Yes, they do. We have different routes of getting there. I think everybody that loves Christ or knows Christ, whether they're conscious of it or not, they're members of the body of Christ. And that's what God is doing today. He's calling people out of the world for his name, whether they come from the Muslim world or the Buddhist world or the Christian world or the non-believing world. They are members of the body of Christ because they've been called by God. They may not even know the name of Jesus, but uh, they know in their heart that they need something that they don't have, and they turn to the only light that they have, and I think that they are saved and that they're going to be with us in heaven. Until I die, I'll proclaim nothing but love for all my brothers and sisters in Christ, my Catholic brothers and sisters, Protestant brothers and sisters, Christian reformers, Lutherans, I don't care what label you are. And you know, Jack, there are so many other Protestant ministers who are doing the same yes. thing as you. Yes. You're comfortable with the Vatican? Oh, I'm very comfortable with the Vatican. I've been to see the Pope several times. They believe in Christ. They believe in the death of Christ on the cross and his resurrection. I feel that I belong to all the churches. I'm equally at home in an Anglican or a Baptist church or a Brethren Assembly or a Roman Catholic church. You know what? We don't all have the same views, and I realize Mormonism is not traditional Christianity, but I'm probably a little broader and more open in the fact that when somebody loves Jesus and believes they're the Son of God, that's good for me. Robert McGinnis with the Family Research Council says it appears the hidden agenda is to unite people under one religious organization so they will peacefully accept UN goals such as population control, abortion rights, and one world government. They are all coming together as one under the authority of Lucifer. If I were the devil, if I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness, and I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, the. So I'd set about however necessary to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. 
Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what'll you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey. Good day. We have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order. A world where the rule of law, not the law of the jungle, governs the conduct of nations. When we are successful, and we will be, we have a real chance at this new world order, an order in which a credible United Nations can use its peacekeeping role to fulfill the promise and vision of the UN's founders. It is a big idea, a new world order, a world in which there is the very real prospect of a new world order. After 1989, President Bush kept said, and it's a phrase that I often use myself, that we needed a new world order. There is a chance for the President of the United States to use this disaster to carry out what his father, a phrase his father used, I think, only once, and hasn't been used since, and that is a new world order. So that the problem of the Bush presidency will be the emergence of a new international order. Within the next four years, we will see the emergence of a new international the beginning, order. The beginning of a new international order. The pieces are in flux. Soon they will settle again. Before they do, let us reorder this world around us. I think its task will be to develop an overall strategy for America in this period when really a new world order can be created. It's a great opportunity. It isn't such a crisis. It's about the future of Europe and a new world order. There's a need for a new world order, but it has different characteristics in different parts of the, of the world. But today, with Asia already outproducing Europe, India and China are clearly becoming part of our new order. We are now facing a common challenge. And the challenge is how to build a world order for the first time in history on a global basis. So, in conclusion, ladies and gentlemen, a new world is emerging. It is a new world order with significantly different and radically new challenges.
the affirmative task we have now is uh, is to actually um, uh, create uh, uh, a new world order. Good evening, everybody. President Obama and British Prime Minister Gordon today calling for a new world order to tackle our global economic crisis. And the president outlined his vision of a new world order in which the U.S. would participate fully. We've got to give them a stake in creating the kind of uh, a world order that I think all of us would like to see. So I see a world order in the future with a multipolar world order. I think a new world order is emerging and with it the foundations of a new and progressive era of international cooperation. But in a globalized economy, we are going to have to take global responsibilities and there going to, is going to have to be some semblance of global governance. Never before has a new world order had to be assembled from so many different perceptions or on so global a scale. Nor has any previous order had to combine the attributes of the historic balance of power system with global democratic opinion and the exploding technology of the contemporary period. And I strongly believe India will be a central actor in the new world order. There also exists an extraordinary opportunity to form for the first time in history a truly global society. 2009 is also the first year of global governance with the establishment of the G20 in the middle of the financial crisis. The climate conference in Copenhagen is another step towards the global management of our planet. New World Order is the headline in the Globe and Mail in Canada. Is this global governance at last? Is it one world, the central bankers in charge? But aren't we all just living and dying for what the central banks do? Of course we are. We are absolutely slaves to central banks. <laughs> Vice President Joe Biden calls the newest graduate, the graduates of the Air Force Academy strategic thinkers as well as warriors and the future of the new world order. It allows us to refocus our intelligence and military assets and resources to other parts of the world where they are needed, where we face new challenges. This is the world you are graduating into. This is what I want to talk about today with you for a few minutes. I believe we, and particularly you, your class, has an incredible window of opportunity to lead in shaping a new world order for the 21st century in a way consistent with American interest and the common interest. During an event honoring the 223rd anniversary of Poland's constitution last night, Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel said we are seeing a new 21st century world order being built. And although there are conflicts and complications, there's still hope. I think what's more hopeful, and maybe than any other time in the history of the world, is that we have more opportunities, have more possibilities, and more resources. We meet here at a moment of testing for Europe and the United States and for the international order that we have worked for generations to build. I congratulate you on taking your place on the long gray line. But the world is changing with accelerating speed. This presents opportunity but also new dangers.
it will be your generation's task to respond to this new world. Over the last two years, journalists and activists have been fighting a specific provision in the annual National Defense Authorization Act, or NDAA, through a lawsuit called Hedges v. Obama. It's called Section 1021B, otherwise known as the Indefinite Detention Clause, which gives the U.S. military the right to indefinitely detain U.S. citizens anywhere in the world, including right here in America. This not only attacks your First Amendment rights, it attacks your Fifth Amendment rights, your Due Process Clause, because this gives not the U.S. government, but the U.S. military the right to detain you and uh, indefinitely with no due process. Now, when I was in America, um, I don't often say this, but I might as well say it here tonight. My driver, who has carried all the prophetic preachers across America before me, told me, he said, every time we get to a bridge, you watch. And we went through 38 states in two and a half weeks, and every bridge we got, went near, there were men working underneath it, putting in steel girders. He said, that is for the United Nations tanks that are going to come in and take over America shortly. Is everybody clear what I'm saying tonight? This goes on tape. The whole of America will be inundated with United Nations troops. In fact, they're training now. Heavy artillery rocked downtown Tampa today as the military gunships and helicopters roared by the convention center. Now, this was all part of the annual Special Forces Operations Convention. And while it wasn't a real invasion, Chris Trankman says it looked about as real as it could get. This was different. Uh, this was a first for me. <laughs> Usually no one sees what we do. The display featured Apache helicopters speeding overhead, while bigger Blackhawk choppers carried highly trained operatives as part of a make-believe invasion. In the distance, they must travel to the target. The spectacle rivals any show. Hey, man, all right. Well, Joey, here's how it went, okay? Uh, Bill's week, apparently. Uh, first of all, it started with Bill's truck breaking down, right? But you got to get to work, so he, he decided to take the bus to work. And so he gets on the bus there, and he notices this uh, older lady there, and she's sitting right in front of him. And she turns around, and she offers Bill a handful of almonds, right? Well, Bill, he totally forgot about breakfast, you know, the truck breaking down and all. So he's grateful, and he's munching up those almonds and chewing them up. And in fact, about every five minutes, this lady repeats the gesture and gives Bill even more almonds during the whole bus drive. And so just before the bus was to let Bill off, uh, he asked the lady why uh, she didn't eat the almonds herself. And she said, well, it's not possible with her old teeth. She's not able to chew them. And so Bill asked, well, well why do you buy them then? And the lady said, I just love to suck the chocolate off of them. <laughs> yeah, so after Bill brushed his teeth 14 times, ate 800 packs of gum, okay, he finally gets to the office. And he gets to the office there, and later that day, he goes to the park for lunch with Diane, you know, romantic time there. And they're taking this romantic walk in the park there. And Diane, she notices this young man and woman, they're sitting on this park bench, you know, passionately kissing and all. And she, she turns to Bill, and she says, hey, why don't you do that? And Bill turns to Diane and says, hey, Diane, I don't even know that woman. So Diane obviously storms off, leaves Bill to park, ditches him there, okay? But later that night, she's feeling a little guilty about how she ditched Bill to park and all, and so she decides to be romantic one more time, you know, before the night's over. And, and she's downstairs, Bill's upstairs, and so she sends Bill this text. Listen, she goes, if you're sleeping, send me your dreams. If you're laughing, send me your smile. If you're eating, send me a bite. If you're drinking, send me a sip. If you're crying, send me your tears. I love you. And Bill texted back, I'm in the bathroom, please advise Just give it up, right? Just give it up as a conclusion right there. You know what I'm saying? No matter what they tried that day, it just wasn't going to work for Bill and Diane, right? Let's close in prayer. No, let's move on, okay? But believe it or not, folks, this lesson of futility, okay, is the same thing that's about to happen to our whole planet. You talk about just give it up, man.
It's a bad idea. Our whole planet actually thinks this, that they can't wait for those nasty, nasty, obtrusive Christians to disappear in the planet. Why, once those Christians disappear at the rapture, we could usher in this time of utopia. It'd be great. Get rid of them. When you talk about, you better just give it up. Run from that idea, because that's not going to happen, folks. It's an idea doomed to fail. The, the Bible clearly says if you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right now, you are going to be catapulted into the seven-year tribulation, and that is not a joke. It's way worse than almonds without chocolate. Do I need to text it to you? Okay, the Bible says it's an outpouring of God's wrath on this wicked and rebellious planet. Jesus said it's going to be the worst time in the history of mankind. In fact, it's so horrible unless God did stop it at that seven-year period. Bang! The entire human race destroyed. Ongoing, his wrath being poured on this planet nonstop for seven years, okay? But praise God, God's not just a God of wrath, which again is not bad. That means he's going to put it into all this baloney going on and in. He's also got to love as well. And because he loves you and I, he gives us so many warning signs in advance to let us know when it's getting close. The seven-year tribulation, and prior to that, the rapture of the church. So in order to keep you and I from experiencing the ultimate bad day of those almonds, okay, uh, we're going to continue our study. That's right, uh, the final countdown, okay? And so far, we've already seen the first eight updates on the final countdown study, and that was the Jewish people, the Antichrist, modern technology, worldwide upheaval, the rise of falsehood, the rise of wickedness, the rise of apostasy, and the last uh, three times was the rise of a one-world religion. And what we saw there is God lovingly foretold you and I, when we see across this planet all the religions on the planet coming together as one, as well as the elimination of those who won't go along with this program via the homosexual sexual movement and the ecumenical movement, but last time with this worldwide assimilation of believers, the world's definition of believers, that you can believe whatever you want and all paths lead to heaven. That's a lie. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by him. That's what he said. I didn't. Okay, and Jesus doesn't lie. And this is being done, this promotion is being done through the Vatican. And we saw that the Vatican right now is not only trying to control and has been for a long time all the governments around the world. Listen, but they're also right now encouraging all the religions around the planet to come together as one under their umbrella, even the Protestant church. And what we're seeing right now, folks, is for the first time since the Protestant Reformation, the Protestant church is going back under the umbrella of Rome. The Bible calls that the last day's global harlot religious system. And you don't want to be a part of it. It's forming right now before our very eyes. The church is going back to Rome. Man, we're living in the last days. But that's not all. The ninth update on the final countdown study, letting us know we're living in the last days, is you're also going to see the rise of a one world what? Government, not just a religion. You're going to see the rise of a one world government. Believe it or not, folks, the Bible is very clear. It's been there for nearly 2,000 years in the book of Revelation, our whole planet is going to be under the control of, under the authority, under the government, if you will, of a guy, and his name is the Antichrist. That's right, Mario, the Antichrist. You had to rub your beard a couple times and it popped out. I like that technique, by the way. Uh, the Antichrist, okay? Uh, and by the way, that's, you think our government's challenging now? <laughs> you don't want to be a part of this one. This one actually is inspired by Satan. But don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God's. Revelation 13. Revelation 13 is going to be our opening text here as we take a look at this. Now, if you find the tables of weights and measures, what do you do? Turn left. Okay. Uh, Revelation 13, let's take a look at the classic text dealing with the beast out of the sea, dealing with the Antichrist. Okay. And uh, is this guy really going to control 
uh, the planet, have that kind of authority, i.e. have a global government. Yeah, the Bible's very clear about that. But let's take a look there. Uh, Revelation 13, verse 1 says, And I saw a beast, Antichrist, coming out of the sea. And he had ten horns and seven heads and with ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon, defined in the text as Satan, okay, gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. And one of the heads of the beast seemed to have this fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished, and they followed the beast. In fact, men worshiped the dragon, Satan, if you can believe that, because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshiped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? And then the beast, the Antichrist, was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God, to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. And he was given power to make war against the saints, those who get saved after the seven-year tribulation, and to conquer them. And listen, he was given authority over who? Every, what's it say there? Every tribe, every people, every language, and every nation. How many guys would say that probably means the planet? Okay, and that's exactly what's going on. The Bible says, believe it or not, folks, as wild as it sounds, one day all the inhabitants of the earth are going to be under the authority, the government of who? One guy, specifically the Antichrist. One day, the Bible predicted, how do you know you're in the last days? These are events that take place during the seven-year tribulation. And again, the rapture takes place prior. That's the motivating point. That you're going to see our world, all the governments combined into one, and it's actually going to be inspired by Satan himself with the Antichrist at the helm. Okay, so the question for you and I today is, could that really happen? Could our world really be deceived into creating a one-world government that's satanically inspired? And listen, is there any evidence that it's going to take place anytime soon? Or is this 50 years off? No. And if you're paying attention, folks, it's already happening right now. And the first proof we know that we're really headed for this one-world government is the quotation proof. The quotation proof. Pay attention to what they're saying, folks. They tell you if you know what to listen for. Now, what most people don't realize is this one world government is not only going to be put into place because, hello, God said it's going to happen, okay, and he never gets it wrong, he doesn't lie, but what they don't realize is it's been in the planning stages for a long time, a long time, and this is where you got to do your homework and pay attention to what's coming out of the talking head's mouths, okay, listen to their verbiage, they give it away, they have code words, buzzwords, okay, and if you want to understand it, there's, uh, to describe this one world uh, government, they've got some buzzwords. Certainly there is new world order. That means one world government. They also have another phrase called a global governance. That's one world government. They have another one, international order. That's global governance. It's, it's one world government. It's all the same thing. It's the same thing we saw before with a one world religion. When you hear phrases like interfaith, interfaithism, multi-faith, multiculturalism, coexist, things of that nature, ecumenicalism, supplant what that is. That means one world religion. And so it is with this. When you see these buzzwords, new world order, global governance, international order, it speaks of the same thing, one world government. So when you see that in the print, in the news, wherever, that's really what they're talking about. Now, it is being used right now and has been used for many, many years, even in our own current government, folks. They've been working on this for a long time. In fact, let me demonstrate some of that proof for you. As far back as 1967, 1967, Richard Nixon called for a new world order. 
The very next year, Nelson Rockefeller pledged to help support a new world order. Then you're thinking, well, the communists are never going to... Yeah, everybody's going to go into this, folks. Mikhail Gorbachev started calling for a new world order. So did George Bush Sr. We played the video on that last time we were on this topic. Uh, Bill Clinton called for a new world order. Tom Brokaw called for a new world order. So did Walter Cronkite, George Bush Jr., Tony Blair, Gordon Brown, prime ministers of Great Britain. Uh, Putin from Russia called for a new world order. China also called for one recently, and so did Iran. Even the Pope right now is going around saying, hey, we need a new world order. And it goes even more. Al Gore, we need to listen to him. Dramatic pause, fill in with laughter. <laughs> You'll get it maybe next time. All right, so uh, he says we need a new world order. Uh, former French president uh, Chirac said we need a new world order. David Rockefeller says we need a new world order. Nelson Mandela, Madeleine Albright, Robert Mueller, the former head of the UN, not only says we need a new world order. Listen to this quote. We must move as quickly as possible to a one world government, a one world religion under a one world leader. That's from the UN. Talk about being blunt. Now, this is what I said. Folks, nobody else on the planet, unless you understand this book, have any clue what in the world he just said. He is promoting the Antichrist kingdom that's going to happen during the seven-year tribulation. That's from the UN. George Soros, billionaire guy. He's out there right now calling for a new world order. Henry Kissinger has been calling for years for a new world order. In fact, he said recently, quote, Obama is primed to create a new world order. And shortly after that statement, lo and behold, President Obama started saying stuff like this, quote, all nations must come together to build a stronger global regime. And he's still out there right now, folks, all over the world declaring we need a new international order. Here's what he said recently over in Europe. Let's take a look at that. Leaders and dignitaries of the European Union, representatives of our NATO alliance, distinguished guests, we meet here at a moment of testing for Europe and the United States and for the international order that we have worked for generations to build. Say what? international order that they just started on last week. So be prepared. Oh, I'm sorry. They've been working on it for a long time. Wait a second. International order. How about, how about, how about we're working for an American order to establish American democracy and the freedom of the republic and fulfill the constitution and the bill of... Isn't that what you kind of expect coming out of an American president's mouth? International order. Now that's nothing. That's nothing. His cohort... Uh, Vice President uh, Joe Biden is even more blunt about it. Listen to what he said recently to a graduation class of military cadets in Colorado. Here's what he says we expect you young whippersnappers to focus on and help us build. Watch this. Vice President Joe Biden calls the newest graduates of the Air Force Academy strategic thinkers as well as warriors and the future of the new world order. It allows us to refocus our intelligence and military assets and resources to other parts of the world where they are needed, where we face new challenges. This is the world you are graduating into. This is what I want to talk about today with you for a few minutes. I believe we, and particularly you, your class, has an incredible window of opportunity to lead in shaping 
a new world order for the 21st century. Say what? It sounds like they're they're expecting it to be pulled off pretty soon because they're relying on the up and coming new leadership and military to be a part of it. That's kind of weird. That's the vice president. I mean, you would think he would say he's going to encourage them with the graduating class in America. Hey, how about, guys, I, we're so excited. We thank you for your service to our country. Number one, thank you for your sacrifice. And we're looking forward to helping you, helping us as American people to protect American interests in the Constitution, upholding that in the Bill of Rights. You're encouraging them. We're excited for you because you're going to build this new world. What? Now, if you've also been paying attention to the news, somebody recently resigned from the military, and that was the Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel. And it uh, makes you wonder why he resigned. Listen to what he recently on camera admitted is being built right now. Listen to this interview. Could you give us a brief big picture of how dangerous you think this time of history is? Is, this, is it chronic annoyance or is it actual danger? And when will the United States see some end to these wars, especially the now 13-year war in Iraq, Afghanistan? Uh, Jim, I think um, we are living through uh, one of these historic defining times. I think we are seeing a new world order, uh, post-World War II, post-Soviet Union implosion, uh, being built. So, top military officials are letting the cat out of the bag that the new world order is being built. Now, reports said he disagreed with Obama's policies. It was one of the reasons why he resigned. I wonder if this is one of the policies. And he just couldn't take it anymore. Or maybe he got forced out because he disagreed. Now, if you think that's far-fetched, folks, even the secular media is admitting there is a massive mega-purging going on of American military leaders who specifically will not go along with the president's policies. Let's take a look at that. President Obama is leading a wholesale purging of military leadership, and no one knows why the moves are taking place. Nine senior generals have lost their command so far this year. Up to 200 other military leaders have been removed from the positions by the president in the last five years. A growing number of retired generals are questioning the reasons behind the removals. A few former leaders say the administration is removing military leaders who may have policy differences with Obama. Former generals and admirals say the president is also using dismissals to scare those who remain into complying with his policies. One former Navy SEAL is telling the press the president is removing military leaders who will not agree to disarm Americans. Hundreds of top military leaders leaving their posts since President Obama took office. Why, I ask, and who is filling that void? Joining us right now is the CEO of Concerned Veterans for America, Pete Hegseth. Captain, no longer, uh, you're still active, right, in the reserves? In the reserves, yep. So do you, do you sense there's a different, is it beyond attrition when we talk about these leaders retiring? I, I think it is. You know, you've seen five years under this commander-in-chief. He's got a different perspective on a lot of things affecting the military. He's got a perspective about what this military should look like and how it should be used. And over five years, you're going to see the warfighter, independent-minded types slowly sifted out and instead... Uh, how might you put it, a little bit more, your, your house cats that are willing to go along with this agenda. What? Replace them with house cats who go along with your agenda. This is secular media. 
international order, new world order, global, and what do you do with those who disagree? The, the wise old generals, the more mature military personnel, dare I say, who's more patriotic? Apparently, even the, so much for a conspiracy theory. Even the secular news is admitting what they're doing is this. There's an old switcheroo going on. You get rid of the older, more mature, patriotic ones, and you replace them with these younger house cats that you brainwashed into saying what? You're going to help us build a new world order. Folks, you just take a look at what's going on in the news. If you know what the buzzwords, the codes words to pay attention to, somebody right now, even in our own country, is building a one world government. We're getting that close, okay? But that's not all. The second proof we know we're headed for a one world government is what I call the coercive proof, okay? The coercive proof, and the first way that we are being coerced, if you will, forced into going along with this is a universal uh, court system, okay? A universal court system. Well, why? Well, because they've thought of everything, folks, step-by-step plan. You see, just in case you cannot be educated, or dare I say, re-educated into a compliant house cat, Right? That was the meow of the New World Order, for those of you wondering. Okay. <laughs> breathe, Donna, breathe. Okay. <laughs> then they're working on the legal means to make you to do it anyway, and they're doing that with a court system, and it's not just court systems. It's global court systems right now that is being formed across the planet that is going to take over the sovereignty of the United States. With the stroke of the pen, they're going to force us to go along with it, and believe it or not, that too is also the agenda of the Antichrist. He's going to make you do it, folks. And I believe court systems are one of the ways he's going to do that. And that's what we see now in the back half of this text, dealing with the false prophet working in cohorts with the Antichrist. Revelation 13, 11 through 18. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth this time. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. False prophet, he's also inspired by Satan. Now he exercised all authority of the first beast on his behalf, and he made... The earth and its inhabitants worshiped the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. He performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image and honor the beast who was wounded by the sword yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to what? to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his, pay attention to this, we'll see it later, forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had this mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If, anybody, if you have any insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666, okay? So the Bible clearly says that in the last days, the Antichrist gets a buddy, a cohort, if you will, and that's called the false prophet. And the false prophet clearly says in the Bible is not only going to dupe the whole world into worshiping the Antichrist, that's what we saw in the last topic with the one world religion, but it says there he's going to make them, he's going to order them, he's going to cause them, he's going to force them to do, in essence, whatever in the world he says he wants you to do, and if you don't do it, what's the penalty? You will die. Now, what's interesting there is the words there, make, order, cause, and force. In the Greek, it literally means to carry out, to command, to direct, or to execute. And so you put all this together in the context, we got some serious global enforcement going on because that's the context. This isn't a section of the world. This is over the whole world, okay? And so the question is, well, how in the world are they going to make, order, force, 
uh, cause people to do this? Well, I believe the first step is, again, the universal court system. And yes, folks, there's universal courts governing the planet right now. In fact, that's been going on for a while. In fact, as far back as July 2002, there went into effect the World Criminal Court. And the United States went along with that thanks to the signing of a treaty by Bill Clinton, his last day in office. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for forming that one world government. Okay, it's called the International Criminal Court. I'm not making this up. This is their logo. You can check it out yourself. It's a, a legit. It's the first permanent international criminal court with, quote, jurisdiction over crimes, threatening peace, security, and the well-being of the world, and it was negotiated by 160 countries. Now, that's the court system. What do you need in a court? You stand before the judge. Listen to this, folks. This is what's going on as we're sitting in this sanctuary. Chief justices from 60 different countries participated recently in India in this summit called the International Conference of Chief Justices of the World. I didn't vote on that, did you? That's what's going on right now. And why do they exist? To, quote, globally enact applicable world laws to protect the future of humanity, to end wars, to deal with the problem of terrorism, illiteracy, and that's right, climate change. Because we all know, especially if you live near Buffalo, that global warming thing is spiraling out of control. As we saw before, it's another excuse to shove this kind of baloney through. Now listen, this isn't the first summit, folks. This is the 14th summit that I'm getting ready to quote the thing. And what they just said at this last one, these global judges, they said, this is freaky, the time is ripe for a peaceful revolutionary change. Pay attention to that phrase. Peaceful revolutionary change, which can bring countries together and unite them as one world. That's what they said at this conference, okay? Now, if you know your Bible, that's how the Bible says the Antichrist rises to power with a peaceful revolutionary change. It doesn't start with war. Read the Bible. Revelation chapter 6, verse 1 through 2. The very beginning of the seven-year tribulation starts like this. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, obviously authority, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. And again, the context is global. Okay, and many people, in short, don't have time to really explode into this text too much, but would say that this is the passage dealing with the Antichrist and his rise to power in the seven-year tribulation, and I would agree. And if you notice there, he's riding on a white horse victory. He's got a, a bow, no arrows, and so many people believe that his rise to power is a bloodless coup. It, it's done in times of peace, not of war, maybe even with the stroke of a pin, like what these judges around the world are calling for right now. What was their phrase? We need one guy. We need a guy to control this planet right now. And the global governments to bring in a time of peace to end all these wars through a peaceful revolutionary change. That's Revelation 6, folks. That's exactly how the seven-year tribulation starts. Now you think, well, wait a second, that's going to happen. Then somehow they're going to have to convince even America countries to give up their national sovereignty, right? That's exactly what they're calling for. At this, again, the same summit, listen to what they said. All countries, all countries must shed off 
a part of their sovereignty, and come under the umbrella of the world parliament and world government. It's the only way to prevent the innocents from being slaughtered in brutal wars. Fanaticism and terrorism are global issues and need global laws. Listen, we judges, you know, around the world, we can make things happen. A world judicial system is the only way to solve global problems and ensure equality of all nations. Unless you think, listen, that our world is not truly ripe for, as they say, a peaceful revolutionary change, some guy to take over the planet for us and lead us into a time of peace, listen again to what the former, this is crazy, the former Belgian prime minister, Paul Henry Spack, said. This is how ripe Europe is for this right now. Let's take a look. He says, quote, we don't want another committee. Mm-mm. We've already got too many already. What we want is a man of sufficient stature to hold the allegiance of all people and to lift us out of this economic morass in which we are sinking. You know, it just doesn't seem to get better, this economy stuff. Listen, send us such a man, be he God or the devil, we will receive him. Direct quote. It's so bad for so long, no seeming solutions on the horizon. I don't care who you send me, even an antichrist, as long as he can guarantee the economy to swing around. That sounds like the average person today. They're more concerned about the economy than their place in eternity. It's, that attitude is even over here. Now, the second way that I believe that they're coercing us is not just through a court system, stroke of a pen, peaceful, revolutionary change, is if you think about it, um, the next way for the resistors anyway, is they're going to have a universal army, okay? And this is common sense because not everybody's going to go along with this, right? I would say obviously not, okay? And so therefore, if you're going to force people to do this, make them, tell them to do as we saw there, the Antichrist is going to do with the Paul's prophet, uh, you're going to need some sort of global strong arm, uh, arm or so global army or some force that's going to make people do it, right? Well, that's exactly what the Bible says is coming next after this false peace. Uh, shocker, it's almost like God knows exactly how it's going to unfold. Revelation chapter 6, now verse 3 through 4. What's coming next after this false utopia, this false peace? Here it is. It's short-lived. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth. This is on a global basis. And to make men slay each other, and to him was given a large sword. In other words, it's going to be a horrible time of slaughter. And if you keep reading the text, that's exactly what it says. One-fourth of the earth is annihilated from this war that takes place. So according to the Bible, here is your correct order. Right after this fake false utopia, this fake false peace, this peaceful revolutionary change, this bloodless coup, it's going to be short-lived. There's going to come a global war, which means people are going to resist this. Which means, in order to put down those resistors and make them do it anyway, you're going to have to have some sort of global force at your hands, at your disposal, i.e. for the Antichrist, right? Can I tell you something, a little crone theory? Read between the lines. I think this is part of the brainwashing that's going on that we even just saw with our current administration, the vice president, telling the young up-and-coming military cadets, who are you fighting for? Not for Americans' freedoms and best interests and upholding the Constitution of the United States of America. You were depending on you to be a part of this new world order. They're being brainwashed. This is why there's being a purging of the older military guys who know better. There's an old switcheroo going on, okay? In fact, folks, they have been working on a global army for years. Tony Blair, again, the former uh, prime minister of Britain, said this, quote, he's been calling for years for NATO, 
to, quote, become the military arm of a new world order rather than just a strictly a defensive alliance. If you're not familiar with NATO, how does NATO operate? You've got a multitude of nations who combine their armies, who go into a nation and do whatever they say needs to be done there, which, by the way, is overriding their sovereignty. See, see we just assume it's never going to happen here. It's never going to happen here. Okay? Now, believe it or not, some would say that this idea of creating a global army, even have a global army, foreign troops stationed in foreign countries as a part of that global army, has been actually in the planning stages for a long time too. Okay? I'm going to show you a map, and here it is. This is in 1952. This map here was produced by the, quote, World Association of Parliamentarians for World Government. This is back in 1952, and they put this together, this group, in 1952 in London. And to explain this map, it's all uh, sectioned out there, and you got the, it's kind of hard to read. You have to, I had to blow it up and stuff like that. And, uh, but they basically had the planet all sectioned out of whose army is going to be where. And you're thinking, well, that's easy. Here's America over here, and that's going to be... No. That plan, this plan, according to that map, what they want is they want to station here in America Chinese, Russian, Colombian, Venezuelan, and Belgian troops stationed over here in America, and they want the American troops over in Europe. And you're thinking, why would you do that? Well, you would think that it would be awfully hard for an American soldier to shoot a fellow American, but not if that soldier was from China here in America. And think, you've got to be kidding me. They're actually calling for the Chinese military, the Russian military, Colombian, Venezuela, and Belgian troops here in America? Yeah. In fact, you know what's really creepy? I just came across this last week. Did you know that the Chinese military just finished, for the first time in American history, training on American soil? Yeah, watch this. This is amazing. Well, soldiers with the Hawaii National Guard recently joined their Chinese counterparts for an inaugural disaster training. Tech Sergeant Andrew Jackson has more. Hawaii National Guard search and rescue soldiers recently participated in the first ever search and rescue extraction training event between the U.S. and Chinese militaries. During the three-day disaster management exercise, search and extraction professionals got a chance to learn from each other while working hand-in-hand -in, -hand in a simulated disaster environment. Previous engagements involved planning and tabletop strategy sessions. This is the first time rescuers from the two nations have had the chance to work together in a field environment. Wow. Well, if that works so well, then, hey, maybe sometime in the future, if there's some sort of global crisis, we could work together again, and, and, and then you could be over here, and then we could be over there, and we could all work together and bring peace to the planet. Now, if you don't think that this is going to work towards the ultimate goal of policing the nation, you better check out what France just did. They just struck a deal with the Chinese police. They hired them to police the French people. Watch this. This is crazy. In a decision which has surprised many, but which may simply be a sign of things to come, France will allow Chinese police to patrol tourist areas in Paris. For more than two centuries, it's been armed Frenchmen who have been patrolling the streets of foreign countries. Now that the shoe will be on the other foot, many in France can barely contain their surprise and indignation. The country should control things by itself. It's not right for foreign police to be stationed here. I agree with you, robot man from Paris. Wee oui, wee. Oui. No, seriously, folks, can you believe what's going on? What? 
I, I agree with that guy with no all humor aside. What in the world is a communist country policing your country? You know, if I didn't know better, I'd say it's like maybe somebody came up with a map or something. And they had a plan, and the plan was to take foreign troops and put them over here because, you know, it's really hard for local troops to shoot other people in their country. When they're... And that's what you're seeing going on around the world. Now, what's really crazy is you put all this together, and it's like a step-by-step conditioning. And where it's now advanced, it makes these words from Henry Kissinger, who's calling for this new world order, sound like maybe it's not too far off. Anybody notice that there's some riots going on lately? Listen to what Henry Kissinger foretold many years ago. Maybe we're not too far off from it. He said this, quote, Today, America would be outraged if UN troops entered L.A. to restore order. Tomorrow, they will be grateful. When presented with this scenario, individual rights will be willingly relinquished, you know, those house cats, for the guarantee of their well-being granted to them by a world government who apparently is working on having their own world army. But it's okay. You can have a foreign country come over here and tell you what to do. Anybody starting to see a pattern? Now, here's the assumption here. So you might be thinking, and rightly so, I would say, hey, listen, man, there's no stinking way that any good red-blooded American soldier is going to go on with this baloney uh, and link hands and help be a part of creating a universal army. There's no way. Well, see, the problem is you're thinking that the soldier of the future is even going to have that choice. Believe it or not, folks, they are actually working on with the technology of having remote-controlled soldiers. And it all started with our current president's exciting announcement that we need in this time of horrible economic chaos, here's the new program he says we've got to focus on. Watch this. It's called the Brain Initiative. U.S. President Barack Obama has proposed a 100 million U.S. dollar initiative to map the human brain's activity in unprecedented detail, saying this 1.4 kilogram organ remains largely a mystery. As humans, we can identify galaxies light years away. We can study particles smaller than an atom, but we still haven't unlocked the mystery of the three pounds of matter that sits between our ears. I wasn't going to say that. Now, you don't get this until you get the timing of when he made this big, giant announcement. Now, first of all, $100 million, that would probably help provide some jobs. What do you think? The timing of this, here's the big thing, here's the announcement. We have to announce our new agenda to help things out. This, the timing is this, when people in our country were out of work and still are losing jobs, unemployment is out of control, they're losing their homes, and you come out and you did this. During that time frame, in the height of it, you said our biggest need right now is to map the human brain. What? It didn't make sense to me until I ran across who got the funding for this brain initiative program. And the entity that's got the funding for this is called DARPA. DARPA is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. And we've already seen before, this is the same group who is working on creating superhuman enhancements for soldiers. Like, as we saw before, superhuman strength, superhuman endurance, superhuman flight, superhuman protection, superhuman pain tolerance, etc. And now, thanks to this brain initiative money, DARPA has now been funded to work on a new superhuman brain chip. 
to be implanted in a soldier's brain to, to help enhance their memories, of course. Let's take a look at that. Back in April of 2013, President Obama unveiled the Brain Initiative, a bold new research effort looking at the brain. The White House pledged to spend $100 million to study how our brains work. One year into the initiative, there's some big news to report. The next few months, highly secretive U.S. military researchers say they'll unveil the advancement of brain implants that could one day restore a wounded soldier's memory. The Defense Advancement Research Projects Agency, or DARPA, is behind the sophisticated memory stimulator. While this is great news for those who have suffered brain injuries, some people see it in a different light. Manipulating memories in people could open up an ethical minefield. Yeah, I'd say so. So now you give this money to these guys who are developing this chip that can go in there and wipe out your memories. I wonder if you were asked to do something really egregious. Zzz, you don't remember a thing. Maybe it's something more than just, it is something more. If you continue to do the research, folks, that's just the beginning. It's not just wiping out your memories. It still lets you create a remote control soldier. Even the Science Channel admits they're working on this. Watch this. Brain machine interfaces, a technology that marks the beginnings of a new kind of man, the cyborg, the robot man. Neuro-robotic technology can be applied in different directions. The brain controlling the machine or, inversely, the machine controlling the brain. But a third option is also possible one brain controlling another brain via the interface. Two electrodes in the sensory cortex of the rat send stimuli to the zones connected to its whiskers. When the rat follows the signal sent to its left side and turns in that direction, it is rewarded with a discharge into its pleasure zone. This discharge produces a flow of dopamine, providing instant pleasure. This zone is also called the brain's reward center. We possess a reward center too, just like the rat. In the process of creating a cyborg, this is square one. If we send a stimulus to the zone related to the hand, we create a sensation in that area. In the same way, via the motor cortex, we can provoke an involuntary movement. In Boston, the first machine-brain interface trials have already been conducted on paraplegic patients. Thanks to an electrode chip called the BrainGate, they can operate a computer remotely by thought so it's no coincidence that these researches are partly funded by DARPA, the U.S.'s Defense Research Agency. Neuroscience will bring us the soldier of the future. Who, apparently, will be a part of a global army to do whatever the world the Antichrist wants them to do and make them feel good about it. This is not. 50 years down the road. This is current technology that's currently being employed even upon us. You put all the pieces together and it only makes sense when you understand the scripture. This is part of the, listen, 
satanic antichrist kingdom. You don't want to be a part of it. And this is why Jesus clearly says, folks, oh, by the way, the mark of the beast, there's two places on the human body to take this particular mark. It's not just the right hand. We focus on that a lot. Where's the other option? In your head. Wow. Jesus said, when these things begin to take place, what do you do? Freak out and run to the hills. Are you kidding me? This is good news, folks. Jesus Christ is coming back to get it. And if you love him, ooh-wee, that's good news. I can't wait to see him. I don't know about you. That's good news. But hey, let's not get there empty-handed. Let's get busy telling people this, this stuff is not make-believe. This has never happened before in the history of mankind. You can't say, oh, you've been saying this for 50 years. It stayed. No, it doesn't stay the same. This is radically different. Okay? And that's the point. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you need to become one right now. There's only one way. His name is Jesus Christ. There's only one way out of this mess that's coming, and that's through that cross right there. Ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of all your sins. Trust in his work and his work alone, as Michaela said, and you shall be saved. Not just from that, but forevermore, for all eternity. Do it today. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. 
One more of the Ten Commandments says you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell, and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. 
And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Pros in the know start with Lowe's because Lowe's makes it easy to save big on building materials to finish any job. Need to stock up on water heaters? Save 5% on select A.O. Smith water heaters when you buy three or more of the same model. Plus, save 5% on eligible purchases every day when you use your Lowe's business credit account. So, pro, now that you know, start with Lowe's. While supplies last, credit offer subject to credit approval can't be combined with other credit offers. Exclusions apply U.S. only.